0: following audio is for Emanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website www.myemanuel.net Amen. Christ is risen, sin is broken. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. It's Him that we've come to worship this morning and not only to worship but to hear a word from him i invite you to join me in the new testament book of hebrews chapter 13 we just have a few sermons left we've been studying this entire book concept by concept we've come to the last chapters and the last chapters are about finishing the race of faith well in fact chapter 12 begins with we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and the metaphor places us in the stadium and we're on the track and and all of those who have gone before us are now in heaven, and they are the they're the fans in the stands watching us as we run our race. And we've been talking about what causes us to trip and why we don't finish well. We discover here in Hebrews thirteen this morning as the writer is going to turn his attention to the experience of the church, the ecclesia, that those who run the race of faith well and those who finish well. Are a part of the ecclesia. They're a part of that's the Greek word for church. The called out ones, and there is a there is a causative, and proportional relationship to those who finish the race well, and those who are immersed in the community of faith, called the church. One of the great myths. Of Christendom. I'm not talking about people who don't know Jesus, but I'm talking about people who do know Christ. One of the myths for many believers is that they can live their life kind of in one on one communion with God and they really don't need the church. Uh, How many of you have ever had someone say to you, Well, I don't believe in organized religion? Ever heard that before? So my answer is always, Oh, so you believe in disorganized religion? Um, Because really, those are your choices. I mean, it can be disorganized or organized. It can, it can just be uh, uh, loose and ethereal, and nobody quite knows where they're going. Or together, the people of God can partner to do what God calls us to do. 47 times in the New Testament, the Bible uses the phrase, one another. We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to pray for one another. We're to build one another up. And so we discover that we have this relationship where we love one another in a way that the world doesn't know anything about. And so it shouldn't surprise us then that if finishing the race well is connected to church life, there are places in Scripture, as we read a book like the book of Hebrews, where the Bible talks about the leaders of the church. Uh, we find it right away in Acts chapter 2. Uh, Acts 2.42 says uh, of those 3,000 that got saved on the day of Pentecost, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of the bread and prayer. Do you know what that's a description of? Church. And the scripture says they they devoted themselves that that and, and to the apostles who were those church leaders. In Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to begin in verse 7 in just a few moments, it's going to use the word leader. It's going to, it's going to talk about spiritual leaders. And here's what I want you to hear this morning. There, there's a perfectly good Greek word for pastors, uh, shepherds, elders, overseers, and the writer of Hebrews didn't use those. Uh, he could have used the word for deacons. He, he didn't use that. He used a, a very loose, broad-brush term, leaders, because this passage is for those of us in church life who have a who have a sphere of influence, who are spiritually mature, and we are influencing others for Christ. That's a spiritual leader. Is the lead pastor a spiritual leader? Oh, yeah, of course. Are our, our pastoral staff, are they leaders? Yes. Our elders? Of course. Are deacons? Absolutely. But I don't want you to read this passage and think, this passage is only for those with titles. This passage is for those of us who have uh, uh, maybe an unbeliever, a young believer, new believer, growing believer, or someone who's just right there on the cusp of becoming the next leader, right? a Paul-Timothy relationship. And so this morning, as I speak to leaders, and, I, and that's what the sermon is this morning. If you're here this morning, you're brand new in church life, and you're not really a leader yet, you say, well, this isn't for me. Well, then listen to see what God expects of the leadership of his church. And where there is spirit-filled leadership and healthy church life, and people are immersed in that church life, what we discover is more of us finish the race of faith Well. And that's why he's talking about it. So what's the expectation for leaders? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 says, remember your leaders. And he's not talking about governmental leaders because he says in the next phrase, those who spoke to you the word of God. So number one, as we speak to leaders this morning, we, the leadership in spiritual leadership of church life, we are to preach and teach the word of God. If you want to expound all of your own opinions, then get a blog. But this isn't the place where we do it. This is the place where whether it's the lead pastor or someone preaching right here in the large group gathering or the small life group gathering or one-on-one at the coffee shop, we point people to the life-changing power of, of the Word of God. Listen very carefully, leaders. It's not your education. It's not your experience. It's not your intelligence. It's not your good looks. It's not your eloquence that leads people to Jesus. It's the Word of God. The Word of God is more powerful than any two-edged sword. The Word of God discerns us. The Word of God is a mirror to our souls. It's the Word of God. The the Scripture says, "The, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God lasts forever. Peter says, heaven and earth will fade away. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about God's going to shake heaven and earth again? He will destroy heaven and earth. The Scripture says in Revelation, he'll create a new heaven and earth. So everything you know about heaven and earth and the scientific laws of this realm, they'll all be gone. But the Word of God carries all the way through eternity. And there's only a couple of things that extend through eternity. The Word of God and the souls of people. You're not going to take your your favorite boat into heaven. You're not going to take your flat screen TV into heaven. You're not going to take your your, your, your new uh, iPhone ten into heaven. It's it's the souls of people and the Word of God that lasts. So when you come here, and I, I think and I and I pray every life group, every conversation, you're going to hear someone say, "Turn in your Bibles," and we look and see what God's word has to say. Verse 7 says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, and consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So leaders number two on our list of expectations from God's word, we're to live the kind of lives that when evaluated, when observed by others, will cause people to want to imitate our faith. I want you to understand this. What we do here when it comes to the truth of the Word of God is unlike anything else on the planet. Um, I can stand before you and teach geometry or engineering. Uh, you, you, know, you know this is hypothetical, don't you? I, re- I can't really teach engineering to you. Well, since it's hypothetical, I could teach nuclear fission and uh, I, I, a string, I could string, string quantum physics. I could teach those things to you, and my life can be an absolute wreck. But I could still teach those things, right? But the Word of God doesn't work that way. The Word of God's different than all those other things. You can stand up, and you can teach English grammar, and your whole life falling apart. But when you teach the revelation of God himself, and you teach the eternal truths of the Word, when Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you're not free, you don't know the truth and you can't teach the truth. The, the preaching and teaching of God's Word inherently demands that I live a life that looks like what I'm teaching. And so, leaders, part of what we do is we live a life so that people see our lives and whether they hear our teaching or not, they can imitate how we live our lives. That's how we learn one day there was somebody and you learned to imitate them and they had a ratchet and they were turning it and you were young and you said and you were looking at it and so they looked at you and they said righty tighty lefty loosey and you learned to do that and you've learned some other things along the way and you learned how to follow a recipe and you learned how to do this and you you learned it because you modeled somebody else's life. You you did what somebody else did and you, you learned to follow that and so that's what a spiritual leader does someone once said we all preach sermons and sometimes we use words we've got to live lives that are authentic now the Bible recognizes that there are some people that don't live lives of integrity they don't, they don't live authentic Christian lives they have names wolves in sheep's clothing false prophets, hypocrites now these, all are, these are all a part of our culture as well Every one of us know that there are some TV preachers who are just in it to get rich, and they look in the camera, and they look at you, and they could and they cry a tear. And They said, if you'll just send $20, we'll send you this prayer cloth. And, and they're just in it for the money. But listen to my response. By the way, it's really the Apostle Paul's response. Satan never counterfeits something unless there's a real thing there. He doesn't waste his time counterfeiting the false thing. He wants everybody to go, oh, because I knew a hypocrite once, because I knew a pastor that ran off with secretary once, because I knew a a guy that claimed to be a Christian, and, and he told the dirtiest jokes once, so that invalidates the whole thing. No, that just invalidates that guy. What it tells you is there must be something that Satan's trying to attack. And so our lives demand that we teach and preach the Word of God, but more importantly, that we live the Word of God so that our lives can be imitated. Verse 8 is a verse that you might know. Maybe you've heard it before and you just didn't know where it was in Scripture. Well, here it is. Verse 8 is, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, Just that verse alone I could preach on this morning. First of all, notice it doesn't say God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It says Jesus is. Sometimes we kind of think, well, God's been forever, but Jesus just kind of showed up in Bethlehem. No, Jesus was forever the co-eternal God with the Father from eternity past to eternity future. And he's never changed. The Scripture said he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why does this verse appear here? He's talking about spiritual leadership. He's just said spiritual leadership in church life, leaders are to live their lives in such a way that they can be imitated. Then he says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So a life that can be imitated has got to look like Jesus' life, and it's got to look like Jesus' life in what? What one characteristic of Jesus is he talking about? His consistency. He doesn't change. Spiritual leaders in some places in the Bible, like in Second uh, Thessalonians, are compared to parents. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good illustration because we are often, when we're, when we're saved, we call that born again. So we come into the Christian life as babes in Christ. And we, we grow up babes in the faith. And we grow them up as parents Now, we've done all kinds of surveys with parents over the last uh, 60 years. Uh, The big discussion for me, uh, people will say to me, ask me about parenting. They say, well, which is better, to be a strict parent or a lenient parent? My answer is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're really, really strict or really, really lenient. You know what matters? You know the one thing that matters is that you're consistent, that you do what you say you will do. You can be really, really strict and have a 9 o'clock curfew for your kids, but if they come in at 10, you don't do anything. So you send the message that doesn't matter what time you set it. You could be really, really lenient and have a 1 a.m. curfew, but if they come in at 1.05 and you bust them, that's a better parenting. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what's important is that you do what you say you're going to do and that your parents see that you live your life according to your own beliefs. Let me tell you a little bit something about Don and Gloria Jones, my parents. There was a place and time in my life where I wasn't sure that I believed what they believed, but I knew that they believed what they said they believed. Because they were the same people at church as they were at home. They were the same people uh, out in the marketplace as they were in the privacy of their lives. They were consistent in every way. So spiritual leadership, here's what I want to say to you. The single most important thing in leading people to Christ and growing them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord is that you are consistent. If you're in and you're out and you're up and you're down and you're back and you're forth and you're high one day and low the next day, you can't really successfully point people to Christ because you're sending all these mixed messages But if you're constant, like Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever, you have the ability, you become that. What do kids need? They need boundaries. They need foundation. They need something concrete. And especially in this world where everything's chaos, and people are looking for something that they can rely on and depend on, and believers and the leadership of the church should be that for sure. Look at the very next verse, verse 9. A third thing about the leadership of church life. It says, Don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those that are devoted to them. Now, he's not talking about real foods here. He's talking about uh, doctrines, he's talking about things that people say. So here, here's what I would say to you, leaders. We are to teach the staid doctrines of grace, the stable, sturdy, never-changing doctrines of grace, not the strange doctrines that have no benefit. The doctrines of grace, the the fundamentals, the essentials of our Christian faith are easy to know and find. And, And every now and then through history... Church leaders get together and they reestablish. These are the fundamentals. These are the these are the essentials. These are the things that of which we cannot compromise. They did it in three fifteen at the Council of Nicaea. Uh, they've done it uh, at the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Philadelphia Confession of Faith, the Apostles' Creed. It's it's what it's what Martin Luther nailed on the door. This to say, this is what we read in Scripture, and these doctrines of grace can never be compromised. And so we have those, and, and, and you can look at them all through history. But every now and then, what happens is somebody hears some new thing, some really cool thing, something that nobody's ever discovered before. You know what the Bible says? It says there's nothing new under the sun. First thing that you'll discover is somebody somewhere has already said that. When I was in seminary, uh, I, had to write a, I had to write a paper, and I, I thought I came up with like a, something new no one had ever found in the Bible. Before I, I was starting to think I, I was a genius. But I, you know, I had to I had to write a paper, so I'd have to have some books and some bibliography and some footnotes. And you know, seminary libraries are like archaeological digs; it's just old, old, old books. And I found a book, and I opened it up. I literally opened it up, and when I read there, I, I read what I thought I was the first one to find in Scripture. And I was like, "Oh, this guy's already said that." And so then I turned to the front of the book, you know, the copyright, where you see where it was written, seventeen sixty-seven. I want to tell you something. If it's God's Word and it's the doctrines of grace, it's already been discovered. And if no, if no one's ever heard of it before and you got the new hot teaching, it's probably heresy. So don't get pulled away by the secondary and the peripheral and the trivial. Stick with the stuff that changes lives, that moves us from sin to Uh, to everlasting life, from darkness to light, from hell to heaven. That's what leaders do. Even great football coaches do that. What do they do? They talk about blocking, tackling, throwing, catching. All of those things are the fundamentals of our faith. Well, skip with me down to verse 17. We'll come back next week and look at more of this passage. But in verse 17 talking about spiritual leadership in church life, so that so that more of us can finish the race well. What What is it that leaders need to do in church life? Well, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So in verse 17, we see three more things about the spiritual leadership of church life and the first thing that we see leaders is that we've been given the greatest responsibility of all the souls of people and we're called to keep that responsibility that that privilege that calling uh we're, we're we're to be vigilant in that that great honor and privilege that we have uh, I want you to hear this and I'm I'm not trying to demean maybe what you do during the week for a paycheck but listen very carefully when it comes to this work right here this isn't stocking shelves this isn't selling cars it's not selling insurance it's not it's not playing the stock market it's it's not working on cars it's not electricity or mechanic or carpentry it's the souls of people and the Souls of people, as we talked a while ago about the Word of God lasts forever. The soul is the only other thing that lasts forever. When God breathed into Adam the breath of life, He made him an immortal being. Meaning this about humanity. Once you're you're conceived in in terms of humanity, once you have uh, God's created life, then that life never stops living the body stops living but the soul doesn't the soul was made to live forever and that and that forever living that that eternity experience either takes place in heaven which is called eternal life or if you reject Christ Jesus and and what he gives in terms of salvation it takes place in hell where it's called eternal death but notice this about hell It's eternal. Hell is a place where you're always dying and never dead. That's what makes it hell. It's separation from God completely. But you were made to live forever. And so, this work that we do, and it's not just the work of the lead pastor not just the pastoral staff, not just the elders, not just the deacons, but the reason that the writer uses leaders here is because those who are spiritually mature, we recognize this is a sacred calling. we, We get to shepherd the souls of men and women and boys and girls and there is not a higher calling. Let me see if I can say it this way. If for some reason there was this Mass movement to make me president and to uh, impeach Trump. Now, the latter half could happen, but the first part, I don't think so. I, I, I wouldn't accept that. I wouldn't accept the presidency of the United States because that'd be a step down for me. I have a greater calling than politics, I have a greater calling than earthly government. I have a greater calling than economics. I have a greater calling even for than the nation's defense. And those of you who are spiritual leaders, you have that calling too. So if you turn a wrench to earn your paycheck or you stock shelves to earn your paycheck, that's just the place that God puts you so that you could impact the souls and the lives of people around you because that's what we're called to. And so these people that we serve, how do we serve them? Well, verse 17 tells us that too. It says that we're to do it with joy. We serve the people of God with joy. And and I, I want to say this to you as plainly as I can. If you've got a place of service here at Emmanuel, and, and in that service on a Sunday morning or whenever it happens, you roll your eyes if you're... I got to do this again. If you find yourself just doing it out of obligation or duty and there's no joy in it, if it sucks the life out of you, I want to tell you this morning, you need to quit that. And I mean quit the job. I don't just mean quit the bad attitude because that's not what God calls us to do and be. If you're serving in the area that God has gifted you to serve at, then it should empower you. It should give you energy. It should strengthen you. Now, I'm not saying that people are easy. People are hard, aren't they? The reason that this is the, the greatest responsibility and the reason it's the most difficult job on the planet is because people are really hard. They'll gossip about you and they'll stab you in the back and they'll they'll uh, they'll cut your throat to get them something for themselves. They're selfie and they're stingy and they're sinful. And God loved them so much he died for them. And he called us to bear that message. And yeah, there are lots of days that are tough. But if you're called to this, if this is your gift set, that, that area of place, that service, that leadership that you're in, it should be the kind of thing that you just love doing. I love teaching God's Word. It's part of what I'm gifted to do. You can wake me up at 2 o'clock in the morning. I could be in a dead sleep and you say, hey, Paul, do you, you want to teach? I'd be like, yeah, yeah, in a second, let me get my Bible. Why? Because I, I love seeing what happens when people apply the Word of God to their lives. Shepherding God's people is what we're called to do. Did you know out of all the metaphors that Jesus uses for the people of God, his favorite is the flock? Sheep. He, he calls us sheep more than anything else. And, and when you think about sheep, what have you got? Well, you, you've got that one that wanders away. And what does Jesus say about that one? I'll let him go. I still got 99. Is that what he says? No, he leaves the 99 and he goes and gets the one and he brings it back. Over the years, as I've seen different pictures of Jesus and artist renditions of what they think that Jesus looks like, the picture that I love the most of Jesus is always the one where he has the lamb around his neck over his shoulders. Because I think of all the times that I was that lamb all the times that I wandered away, all the times that I did wrong, all the times that I was selfish, and he went and found me. And when he found me, I was so tired, I couldn't even make it back on my own. And so he took me, and he put me on his shoulders, and he brought me back again. And we're to imitate that life. That's what under-shepherds do. That's one of the Bible words for leaders is shepherd. And that's what we do. That's who we are. And it should be The joy of the Lord—that's your strength. That's what God wants you to find as a leader. And if you can't do it with joy, then I'm—I'm giving you ecclesiastical permission to don't do it anymore. I'd rather us not have that position filled than for someone to do it with such a, 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 a disdainful attitude, such a such a bad attitude. It'd be better if we didn't have anybody do it at all. Do it with the joy of the Lord. Well. We come to this last part of verse 17. Verse 17 tells us that we are keeping watch over souls. That's the single most important thing in the world. It says that we're we're to do it with joy, but it also says that when we do this, we do it as those who must give an account. So the last thing, leaders, I want you to see this morning is that we will have to give an account of this calling before the Lord. James, when he writes in the New Testament, he literally says, not many from among you should aspire to be teachers because they have a greater judgment. There's a a different expectation between followers and leaders. And, And God expects something more of leaders just like he expects something more of parents over children. And and so, we're going to stand before the Lord one day. And so, what I want to say to you, leaders, is we, we don't we don't need a wink and a promise. We don't need you to just call it in. We don't need you to just give us kind of a kind of a uh, you know a halfway effort. We need people who understand that God is watching. That God knows me more more than that. He knows my heart. And that I do this as unto the Lord. You know, one of the ways I love people that aren't very lovable is I, I just love what Jesus loves, and I hate what Jesus hates. That's that's one of the. By the way, that's one of the best ways to grow in your Christian life. You know you you know you come you come to the cross with all these fleshly loves, right? And you know most of those those, those are the ones that are getting you in trouble. You love yourself. You love comfort, you love more money, you love popularity, you love being right, you love the remote control in your hand. You, you, you come with selfish, fleshly loves. And a part of the sanctification process is I start to learn who Jesus is, and so I, I decide I'm going to love what he loves, and I'm going to hate what he hates. And then I discover, oh, some of the stuff I used to love, God doesn't love that. And some of the, and some of the things that I used to never love... And some of the people that I didn't love, God loves them so much, he gave his one and only son that they might have everlasting life. And this is our calling. Does this passage apply to pastors? Absolutely. Does this passage apply to elders? No doubt about it. Does this passage apply to deacons? Yes, But he doesn't use any of those words when he could have. He uses a much wider word that encompasses much more of the congregation. He uses the word leader, those who guide, those who direct, those who say, follow me. And it includes many of you in this room. And this is the standard that God is calling you to. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed is it possible that you're here this morning and you never thought about yourself being a leader? I mean, you don't really have a position or a title. You you don't direct a ministry. But now you realize this morning, I I really do have a sphere of influence. I've got people that God has placed in my life that I need to point and direct and, and be an example to them so that they can find Jesus and they can finish the race well. And what we discover is that when more of us embrace this when we become the the spiritually mature, the leaders that God would have us to be as a church, then more of us will finish the race well. Now this morning, I, I didn't even really talk about salvation. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, that's the beginning place for you. For you, it's being born again and starting the race. But For many of you this morning, you know these truths. Maybe you just always thought, These these were the expectations that God has for your pastor. But Now this morning I say to you, this is the expectation that God has for us if we're going to be the spiritually mature church that God wants us to be. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. How many of you just lift your hand just for a moment and just say, uh, Paul, God spoke to me about the person that I'm supposed to be. One of those traits, it affects you. You heard him. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Thank you all over the room. Father, you've seen our hands. More importantly, you know our hearts. You know everything about us. You have uh, really answered every single question of our lives. We we don't have to wonder what church is supposed to look like or or what the leaders in the church are supposed to do. It's all right here in the end of Hebrews, and we only just read one passage. We didn't even we didn't even look at other passages, and yet this is how we're to live our lives. So, Father, this morning. Anew and afresh, we recommit ourselves to you, to your purposes, to your eternal divine values. And we know what you value. You demonstrated that in your son Jesus. He would go to the cross and die for us. You, you love and value the souls of men and women and boys and girls. So Father, let us live with that in mind. Let us put aside the things that are earthly and fleshly and worldly and let us love what you love Hate what you hate. Live like you lived. Father, do this in and through us for your own glory and honor. And, and when anybody sees you, they see Jesus in our lives, we promise not to take credit for it, but to point them to you. And this we do in the most wonderful and holy and precious name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Well, Hebrews 13 isn't the only place where the Bible talks about spiritual leadership. In First Peter chapter five, we read, "So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you to, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering it over those that are in your charge, but be an example." to the flock. And then listen to this. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. I think there's a special crown for leaders. People who shepherd the flock. People who care about the lambs, whether it's uh, helping the little lambs and mops or right on through the spiritual lambs who have just been recently born again. This is what God calls us to do. So go and be faithful. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.